This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, Episode 172. Good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster, and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what the title says it is, folks. It's a show where we look at everything to do with fantasy and sci-fi books. We look at urban fantasy, epic fantasy, space opera, military sci-fi, you name it. We try to bring you the best and brightest authors from all the various corners of the fantasy and sci-fi book world here to you on the show in each episode. Um, coming up with my own author update, I'm currently between projects, so I'm switching gears and working full blast on a new humorous sci-fi space serial series to be released on the Kindle Vela platform later this summer. I'm collaborating on this with my good friend Jen Frontera, and uh, we're having a lot of fun with that. All that is going on while my son and co-author, C.J. Davis, works on his parts of the Accidental Monk book, which is book seven in the Accidental Traveler series. So um, you can check out those other books while you're waiting for that. You can always find out more about what I'm up to, including sneak peeks of upcoming covers, special giveaways, and a lot more over at my fan group on Facebook, uh, Jamie Davis's Fun Fantasy Readers. You can also find things on my website, at jamiedavisbooks.com. But in either location, get in touch with me, folks. I love hearing from you, and I respond back to every email or comment where you reach out to me. This week on the show, I interview author R.C. Barnes. She is a former film and television executive who decided it was time to give life to the delightful characters in her head. Her YA Tattoo Teller series, Ink for the Beloved, is a love letter to her adolescent years in the East Bay. The series is set in Berkeley and features her fearless biracial teen detective, Bess Winters, who possesses a unique psychic talent involving tattoos. The second book in the series, Ink for the Damned, releases this summer, 2021. On a perfect day, Robin can be found curled up with a book, listening to the rain outside, eating noodles, and sipping tea or wine. She, deliv- she lives in Berkeley and is the mother of three very nice people. She's also one of the amazing authors, uh, appearing in the upcoming urban fantasy short story anthology, Summer Solstice Shenanigans. I have a short story in there as well, and we'll be featuring authors from the Summer Solstice Shenanigans anthology over the coming weeks here in the show as that anthology is released. So you can find it available for um, pre-order over at Amazon, and uh, go ahead and pick it up. Get ready for it. It's a lot of fun. 24 great short stories. So let's jump in with my interview with R.C. Barnes, and uh, let's jump into that right now. R.C. Barnes, it's great to have you here on the show today, and uh, you're, you're also known as Robin, so I'll, I'll kind of talk to you that way as well. Um, but Robin, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. It's fun to, to kind of chat with some of the other authors that are in the uh, Summer Shenanigans or Summer Solstice Shenanigans um, anthology. I, I, it's funny, I try to, if you try to say that too fast, you get completely tripped up. Too many S's yeah. in a row. <laughs> um, why don't you introduce yourself to the readers in our audience and uh, let, let them know a little bit about who you are? Um, all right. My name is, I, I, my name is Robin Clare. 
I uh, write under the pen name R.C. Barnes. Um, my children, I have three children and their last names are Barnes. So I wanted to kind of have that connection with them so that they could actually point to the books and go, that's my mom. And people will go, oh yeah, I see. But um, I live in Berkeley. I, uh, this is, I, I consider Berkeley my hometown. Um, I lived in Los Angeles though for a number of years for probably half of my life, but I'm from Berkeley and now I'm back in Berkeley. And Berkeley is, and, and the East Bay, are the source of most of my writing. So I use what I use my childhood, my adolescence, um, my observations now as I come back as an adult, um, those friendships and connections. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that has happened in the East Bay. And so it was really quite fruitful. <laughs> it's a great hometown to be from and to write about. How did you get started writing? What, what was the impetus that kind of pointed you in that direction? You know, it's such a cliche when people say, well, I've always been writing, but um, I did. <laughs> um, I wrote a book when I was 10 years old. Um, and I knew nothing, of course, about publishing. But I wrote a book. Um, and I sent it away to this children's magazine that existed at the time. And I was fully expecting to be published, fully expecting. I didn't know anything that you should make a copy of, you know, of your material before you send it. So I sent this like one existing copy of this really, I mean, like, you know, years later, you, you know, you would have wanted to look back and go, oh, look what I wrote. It was rather impressive. I, it was this whole story about this, again, didn't know that you should write about what you know whatever that means. Um, but it was a story about an old man and a lion. I don't know where that came from, but it shows that I had a bent for fantasy. Um, and then, um, so that disappeared. But then around that same time period, I had a fabulous teacher who really encouraged my writing, my creative writing. And, and she, I, I didn't know she was only doing this with me. I thought that other students were getting these little special assignments as well. Um, but she would give me a photograph, kind of like what we use sometimes when we're doing writing prompts. And she, but that's exactly what it was. She would give me a photograph of something and say, oh, see what you would write about this. Tell me a story about this picture. And I would come back with a full-fledged story. Um, and that went on for a while. And she uh, collected them and at the end of the year, gave them to my parents and said, this is what your daughter's been doing. Um, my parents weren't impressed. I mean, it was, it was like, not that they weren't impressed. They thought, oh, wow. But they were not keen on having a creative child. Um, and then literally the year late, the, um, the following year, I wrote a play. And I wrote a play that the entire, well, the entire fifth grade performed. And it was a huge hit for, for fifth grade. I mean, I, mean I, I think about this, like it was actually quite remarkable, but the, I went to a very small elementary school in Connecticut during this time. And they, um, the fifth grade did my play. I wrote a part for everybody, um, writing, to, writing to personalities. I knew how to do that. 
um, to make sure they know their lines. And then um, we performed this play for the kindergartners and the first graders. And, and the play was called Clean Up Your Room. So, <laughs> so not only targeted for personality, but targeted for age too, right? Right. But it was, yeah, exactly. It was about these kids who had just had a party and their parents are coming and they need to clean up the place before the parents get home. I mean, you know, that's basically what it is, but it, it had a lot of jokes. And so the, the, the younger kids really liked it. And after that, I was pretty much launched. I wrote a lot of little things um, that over the years, you know, I, I kind of really thought this was my thing. And then as what happens, I had a teacher when I was in high school who really kind of slammed on what I wrote, like, you know, red pencil, the thing to death. Um, and it was the type of edit- editing that was petty stuff. It was like, you know, but, but it was, it was more, more focused on the commas and, and those things rather than the creativity that was there. So that kind of squashed me for a long time. And so I became an actress. <laughs> that was kind of the, <laughs> I, I, I you'll, find some, an actress. you'll find some creative outlet one way or the other, right? Right. Well, actresses don't have to worry about commas. As long as they pause in the right places. (laughs) And all these things, of course, now we have these writing programs, which do it for us. So it's actually quite nice. Oh, I don't know what I do without Grammarly. So I I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just, you know, it's, it's my thing. Uh, It's, it's fun to hear you talk about that. I know my mom a couple of years back, brought a bin full of stuff that she'd been saving for all these years over to our house and said, I've, I don't have room for this stuff anymore. You guys take it. And I started going through it. It had old report cards and it had a bunch of old stories that I'd completely forgotten about when, um, but in middle school, I had a couple of teachers that periodically three or four times a year would put a list of like 30 different titles on the board. Some of them would be serious, like what I did, what I did over the weekend or my favorite, my favorite blank is. And, but I always gravitated towards the more creative ones. Um, and one of those stories was the great melted cheese disaster of 1975. And so my mom found that story still stapled together where I'd written it for this assignment. And, you know, those, I, I look back on those things fondly because it just, it was, my imagination was so rich and still is. And I just said, well, this just, I have to write about this. I have to know what happens with the great cheese disaster. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So I, I love that story. I love, I love all, all of that whole progression of what you, you did. Now you, you went into acting, you, you eventually got into I, the film and television business. Yes. Um, I was an actress for a number of years, uh, uh, pre- predominantly on the stage. And um, people who live in the East Bay are familiar with the American Conservatory Theater and that I was part of their young conservatory. And I was with them for like eight years um, and then went to Northwestern and was in theater there, study theater. Um, so I had a pretty solid background in um theater, predominantly the stage, and and went on and did repertory theater after graduating from Northwestern. But 
you know, one of the things is, you know, in entertainment, they, you know, everyone here is, well, Los Angeles, you know, LA, you've got to, you know, they want the young people. So I thought, oh, I should go to LA while I'm still young. So I did work my way up with um, small roles, things like that. Um, and, you know, got to the point where I was like going up for TV pilot and kind of like, yeah, I got it made. I'm there. I'm in. And then as things happen, you know, these little flukes that come out that, that you know, that what we call like, you know, ooh, um, not pivot or I'm trying to think of what the word is, but, uh, you know, plot twist. There you go. Um, I needed money for the summer. I, I really needed extra work and I didn't want to go back to waitressing because I had left that job and thought, you know, I didn't quite burn the bridge, but I didn't really want to go back and ask for my job back. So I, someone had told me that this studio, Walt Disney Studios, was looking for readers. And I knew how to do that. I knew how to read. And I had done that for various friends of mine who had moved on and, um, and were in film school. And so I was fairly familiar. And I'd been a playwright. I mean, I studied playwriting when I was at Northwestern. I'd written some plays. So I was doing writing then, but I still was predominantly focusing on acting. Um, and the, uh, it turned out that they weren't looking for readers. What this was, was that they were bringing in junior executives. And, um, it was one of those situations where I'm interviewing for a job and I have no idea what I'm interviewing for. And that's where the acting came in very well, because I was able to go and I was able to play it off. Um, just kind of like learn to ask this gentleman questions. And I learned more about this position, but the whole time I'm kind of like, is this a real job? Like people get paid to do this. And literally one time during the interview, I said, isn't this like the nepotism job? Because I kept thinking this is the job they give to the, the nephew, like the studio. Had, yeah, and, and what was funny was that literally that had happened earlier is that they, you know, someone on the board, had gotten their um, their nephew a position. He didn't last long, but it was. Um, I, I I I I interviewed and I I do a good interview and I was hired because it was the type of thing where I'm just like I can't believe it's like it was like that like Working Girl that that um, Melanie Griffith movie where at the end I'm just like I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I've heard about these things, but I couldn't believe I was here. And from being an actress where you are low on the totem pole to being in the room where it happens, like you kind of see how decisions get made. You see how bad decisions get made. You see how the good ones kind of somehow managed to survive. Um, it was fascinating. It was really was. And it was like a, there was a bit of a power trip because suddenly I had an expense account. Um, you know, I mean, just all of the things which I'm like, oh my God, I get to do this. Oh, I get to do that. I, I, I can have dinner at this place and write it off. I mean, it was just, whoa. Um, and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I tell people it was a lot of fun until it wasn't. And there comes a time period, part of what was fun and being a creative myself, I was an executive that I actually I knew how to speak their language. So I was very good with other writers. I was good with the directors. I knew how to get what, essentially when you're at the studio, you're the bank, you're financing this thing. And a lot of times everything really is about money 
and the concern is like, how is this going to be spent? Da, da, da. But creativity still has to flow within that. And there are ways to get performers, creatives, to get to, to deliver what you need and without crushing their souls, so to speak. Kind of like going back to the red pencil and the commas. And, and I knew how to do that. So um, I was very good with, um, you know, with, with, with writers and, and, and conveying what the studio needed, but getting the creativity we wanted. Um, but there comes a point when you're like moving up the ladder with positions. You know, the more senior positions, you are focusing more on the deal on the business deal um, and less on the project, you know, and that wasn't as fun. I liked being working on the project, getting in the, kind of like getting in the mud with everybody and like, you know, even the problem solving. I thought the problem, you know, it was like, okay, how are we going to, we, you know, the snow has stopped in Alaska. We still have two more, you know, <laughs> we still have two more days of shooting. Where, where can we go financially? Where can we move the crew? And like, who can game? I mean, all of that stuff I just thought was so, it was fun. Um, I mean, it was hectic and you're stressed out and I almost went back to smoking, but it's still looking back. It's weird. It's like, you look back and I go, oh gosh, those were the good old days when I was so stressed out about where can we shoot the final scenes of this movie? <laughs> but, um, and so then, you know, I, I started having children, which is problematic. Now it's less problematic nowadays. I think that um, the industry has made more room for women with children, but there was the, you know, kind of the irony of the fact that I worked for the the family entertainment studio and I'm getting flack because I'm becoming a mom. <laughs> you know, I was, I was daring, um, but it, it was a very hard job to do with children. And I wanted to raise my children. I wanted to be you know, at the preschool, I wanted to be a room mom. I want to do that stuff. And you really can't do it and be, and work at the level I was working at. So I had to, I had to kind of pull out. And also I was at the, I was not getting to do the fun stuff anymore. I was, you know, it was kind of like, I'm sending people to go do the fun stuff. And I'm like, I want to do the fun stuff. So that's, <laughs> that was the experience, but it, I'll tell you it, um, it made, it, I learned collaboration very well and how to, how, how to give notes and work with writers without diminishing their voice. You know, like kind of go going, you know, giving suggestions and then, but you know, and they're my suggestions, but I would, I might've written the thing a whole different way, but I'm trying to allow them to find the story that they have. And so those those were the things that I thought I I you know became quite skilled at, and I use that now. I'll tell you what I volunteer. I work with um, students at the high school, pre pre predominantly on their high school acceptance. Those those personal statements, and it's the same type of thing. You know, um, you're, you're, they're they're crafting a story, and they have to use their voice. So um, that's one thing I really enjoy doing. And it also helps keep me um, kind of tapped into my audience, so to speak.
that's actually a great way to do that too and 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 have a way to give back simultaneously so that that's awesome um let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your tattoo teller series because um that series the whole premise of it is fascinating to me um so why don't you tell us a little bit about Bess and what she can do and how that translates into your your stories um my the uh, Bess Winters, uh, my main character in the Tattoo Teller series, is what I'm calling a tattoo teller. And a tattoo teller is someone who can touch ink um, on a person's body, and they know the story behind the tattoo. Uh, and everyone who has a tattoo, and I have one as well now, I felt I, I should get one <laughs> at some point because people ask, oh, well, do you have a tattoo? I go, oh, yeah, I do. I got one a couple of years ago. Um, but there's always a story behind the tattoo. And they're personal stories. Um, even if you're not aware of, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, it's just a bird. I like birds. And I put a bird there. But there's a reason you like birds. And there's usually a personal reason. You might, and not everyone is that self-aware. So it is a, I don't want to say dangerous Ability, but it becomes dangerous in the story for Bess because she starts to learn things about people that she shouldn't know. Um, and in, in the first book, she's 16, and it's information that she has to process. And I wanted to have a character who, you know, I mean, yes, yeah, she's very wary of people. She's been hurt terribly. Um, her mom is is a narcissist, to be honest, and she's had to grow up in the shadow of her mother. Um, her mother is a tattoo artist and actually is the only person that's aware of Bess's ability and uses it for commercial means. Um, and then over the course of, I mean, the, the, the focus of the first book is it's a mother-daughter story. And I wanted that relationship to be the... Um, just the real, the emotional hook. I think it's something as, especially, you know, I, I, I know everybody has various issues with their, with their mothers, especially when they become teenagers. And it's a lot of things, but sometimes it's just, you're coming into your own and you are understanding there are things that your mother may have done or has done or is doing that you don't quite agree with. Um, and in this particular story, her mom, who is a serial dater, goes out with lots of different men, um, has a boyfriend that best can't stand. And so that's, you know, so basically she, she uses her ability to figure out a way to get rid of him because he, he is, and ultimately we understand he is dangerous. It's not just, um, a teenage girl who's complaining about the guy her mom's dating that there, there's truth to it, but you know, She's complained about everything else. So it, for a while, it seems like she's just crying wolf. You know, it's like, it's like oh, well, you know. And um, a character that um, is, it was funny because as he came up in the writing, uh, he he's, I have one book, but I'm going to call him the fan favorite, <laughs> is uh, the mother's previous boyfriend. And his name is Luther. And so there's that where Bess wants her mom to like 
Luther was great. Why, you know, why can't you go back to Luther? And uh, so he's, so I had this thing where I wanted to hold up men who step up, who don't have to. Um, you know, Bess is not Luther's daughter and Bess has a younger sister. They're not Luther's kids, but this man steps up. And I wanted to have that in a story um, with, especially a story that focuses on complicated families. Um, that, you know, your the family, you know, your family units are what you make of it, but they're also quite vulnerable because they're not recognized by society. You know, that, uh, uh, you know, there's just those little things. If someone is injured or someone is hurt, uh, the people who really matter, who should be at the bedside, are not always allowed in at the hospital because society does not recognize these families that we form out from our hearts rather than our blood. So all of that is in this is in this story um, about a girl who can touch tattoos and know your business. And it's just a fascinating. I mean, I've, I've never really heard of anything quite like that from from a you know a magical ability standpoint. So it's so unique in that way. Um, and and I love you know when shifting back to the short story from Summer Solstice Shenanigans, I love how you you got. You, you took the favorite character, Luther, from, you know, your series and said, let's tell a little bit about his background and and yeah. as well as his sister, who figures in another series I know that you have. Um, yes. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about The Curse of the Veil? Um, well, that was that's exactly why I wrote it, is that I, I realized I needed, I have these two characters who, in my series are adults so we you know luther is in the first book he's in the second book um which comes out later this summer um and his sister tanya factors in shows up in the second book that's when we meet tanya and then um and then they're part of this world this uh you know i see it as i mean i I kind of like to use the word abilities more than powers because I like, I, I don't want, I want, I want the ability to have its restrictions. You can't do everything. I mean, this is not Superman with kryptonite. This is, these are human beings that have the ability to do things which others can't. It places them in, you know, in certain situations, but they still, of course, have to do the regular things of, you know, grocery shopping, going to school, um, working, working their nine to five job and things like that. But they're aware that there are these other realms that exist and the realms don't always penetrate their everyday world. But some but I wanted to have people who recognize that those realms exist. So Tanya, what we we in, in Curse of the Veil, and it's a curse. I mean, she's got the gift of the veil, which is, you know, the ability to interact with spirits. Um, 
spirits who have crossed over or in the spirit realm, but for whatever reason are out. So if they're in the spirit realm, they kind of stay there. She has to deal with ones that might be trying to communicate with her. And it's the idea that spirits recognize when someone is open to them. And unfortunately, and they don't care that she's a seven-year-old girl. They just go, oh, she can communicate, find the things that I need. Um, and it's the whole notion tapping into like restless spirits and people having unfinished business and things of that nature. Um, and again, I kind of liked the idea of putting that weight on the shoulders of someone who absolutely is not capable of handling it because she's too young. And so because of that, she has an older brother who tries to make up for the areas that she can't, but he's only 12, but he, you know, um, in the story, I do have there are times where Tanya's above her, you know, her emotional ability of what she can do. And so that's Luther has to step in and he has no abilities. You know, he just knows what it looks like and tries to save his sister um, in a situation that, you know, they're just starting to grapple with the words of how you describe what's going on because they're only starting to understand. Um, and so then when we meet them as adults later in my series, we'll see they have learned how to cope with the various things that they are dealing with and how, um, how Tanya now has grown with this, these attachments that she has with spirits. So um, the short story is Curse of the Veil, and it's in the Summer Solstice Shenanigans Anthology coming out on June 21st, which is awesome. You can get it for pre-order. So um, go ahead and do that if you want. Um, but, uh, you know, the Tattoo Teller series is also available out there. You've got a second book in that series coming. So Ink for the Beloved is the first book. You've got the mm -hmm. second book coming out soon. So um, I just want, I, we got to wrap up because we could probably sit here and talk all afternoon. <laughs> um, but uh, where can folks find you if they want to see what you're doing online and kind of follow what's, what's going on? Um, I, uh, I have a news, excuse me, a, a newsletter I'm starting that uh, links are available through my website. My website is practicing in public um, because I kind of see everything I'm doing. It's like just practicing. You know, I haven't gotten this. I haven't gotten this perfected yet. Um, and um, I can be found on Twitter. I like not Twitter. I'm sorry. I can be found on Twitter. But um, Instagram is actually a platform that I like engaging in as a writer. And that's at RC in La La is me on Instagram. Excellent. Well, we will, we will have links to that and how to follow you and your books as well in the show notes for this episode. Um, Robin, thanks so much for coming on and chatting about your background and your books and your just your passion for life and, and everything you do. It, it comes through certainly as I'm chatting with you here. So thank you. Well, thank you. That's, that's very complimentary. <laughs> that
That's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Make sure you catch up with us for a whole lot more from the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Focus community. You can find that over on Facebook in the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Focus group or at fantasy-focus.com. Um, also on the website, while you're over there, you can actually subscribe to the podcast episodes. Just click the link in the show notes, um, there, and you'll be able to uh, subscribe via your favorite mobile app, whether it's iOS or Android. You can even subscribe by email if you want. And you want to do that because we've got some great authors coming up for you in the coming weeks, especially the authors I'm featuring for the uh, anthology that's getting released, Summer Solstice Shenanigans. So um, try to say that fast three times. It's not as easy as it sounds. Um, But anyway, um, we've got those authors featured on the coming episodes, and it's a lot of fun to talk about their short stories as well as their full series that those short stories link to and uh, the anthology in general. So check it out. That's it for this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook at Jamie Davis Books and at my website, jamiedavisbooks.com, where you can get a free book if you sign up for my newsletter while you're over there. Whatever you do, though, subscribe. Come back here to the next podcast. And don't forget, folks, while you're out there in the world, keep your eyes open because there's magic all around you.